Welcome to All Things Eerie from Eerie PA. This is your host, Kathy, and this is episode 11. This is about Ray Ferrito and the Hitman of Eerie. Before I start, I would like to say Happy New Year. Welcome 2020, and I hope everybody had a wonderful New Year. I don't know about you, but I actually did make it to New Year's. We stayed up. We watched a movie. Uh, It was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we rang in the new year by the last 10 minutes of Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve. I think that's what it's called. And we gave each other a kiss and we went to bed. That That was our New Year's Eve. And we don't go out partying. We just... We stopped that a long time ago to us. That's amateur night, so it's not worth a ticket or anything like that. Uh, we had um, we had hoped to go see some friends play this weekend, but I got the dates mixed up, and um, they uh, they actually played last night, and we had some we had our friends over to exchange Christmas gifts, and I know a lot of folks have split families and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how late into January, some folks, uh, exchange gifts and stuff like that because of split families, not seeing each other, but there have been viruses and stomach bugs and all kinds of fun stuff going around. And, and I actually apologize up front because I am actually recording in my bedroom this time. My partner is actually out watching football tonight. And, um, so I am, I'm recording in here and it's, it's been, um, this is actually recording number three. And so if my voice is a little, eh, that's why, but, but I just wanted to wish everybody a happy new year and, and, uh, go from there. And, obviously talk about some of our new listeners. We have someone from New Hampshire and someone from North Carolina and just want to welcome them and tell everybody, thank you for listening and I super appreciate it. And obviously our regular housekeeping, go to podbean.com. That's where our, our episodes are listed and we have Twitter, we have Spotify, Facebook, fb.me forward slash all things eerie, eerie with three E's. And I am super proud of myself because that's the first time I didn't have to look at that. And then obviously, if you want to leave me a message, I'd greatly appreciate it. And I am going to jump right into this. It is about Ray Ferrito, Erie's one-time link to the mob. And Ray Ferrito was born and raised here in Erie. He himself was, um, I have to say, his link to the mob was just as a hitman and, and kind of guy to get things done. But 
when I was doing the research on this, I, I felt like I should make some popcorn and put my jammies on and do a Netflix binge, you know, of Goodfellas and The Godfather. And um, as and as a matter of fact, whom it was said that uh, one of the characters, uh, Fredo from The Godfather, was um, based on um, Ferrito. Um, so, I mean, it's no wonder that the Eriites around here uh, have or had a fascination with their one link to the mob, um, even if he wasn't in an actual quote unquote family and was used as a hitman or um, just to quote unquote get things done. Um, but was the city really safer as the older generation claimed when the mob was in control, quote unquote, the mob? Um, and how was it any different than today with the gangs that populate the sections of the city or, or when a hit man or when a hit is taken out on someone in it? And as in the case with Danny Green and 40 ca car bombs had gone off and how many others were could have been injured in those attempts. Now, when I looked it up, there was only one civilian that was killed in, in the deaths that I had looked up <clears throat> that there was a list of prior to, and that was because he was the neighbor of a, um, a mob soldier and he moved his car because it was blocking his. So, and, and I'll go over some of those deaths. Um, in, in a little bit, but going over Ray Ferrito's earlier life, I mean, he was involved in criminal activities in his youth. Uh, in 1942, at the age of 13, he was convicted of burglarizing two gas stations um, and was sentenced to two years of probation. So somebody saw something in him and gave him a chance the first time around. Um, and the people who knew people who came back from world war two were the ones who, um, provided the connections for Ferrito needed to further his ambitions. Um, and then during his twenties, Ferrito was a bookmaker and vending machine route man in Erie before moving to Warren, Ohio, uh, where he met Ronald the crab, Carabia uh, and Tony um, Del Santer. Uh, Carabia and his three brothers were all known as the Crab, <clears throat> which obviously was a play on their last name, and uh, they became prominent in organized crime scene in Youngstown. Del Santer was a man, uh, made man in Cleveland's uh, La Caviola crime family. And then by the late 60s, Ferrito uh, moved to L.A. where he was associated with the group of uh, Cleveland mobsters, inc including Julius Petro. And then in the 40s, Petro uh, wriggled free from a, a death sentence on a retrial in a murder case. And Frito and Petro were associates of Jimmy Fracciano, who were clearly or closely associated with the L.A. crime family. And then by the uh, 1970s, Danny Green, Irish-American associate, began competing with the Cleveland's uh, La Cavioli um, 
crime family uh, for uh, for control of union rackets, resulting in a violent mob war. And, you know, the, the older generations, like I said, they said that they, uh, quote unquote, never felt safer than when the mob was in charge. Um, but there was never a, quote unquote, family or no Casa Nostra, uh, no mob in Erie. Uh, there was a collection of wise guys and wannabes and career criminals, most of whom who had the potential to be better uh, than who they were, like Ferrito when he was younger. Uh, that judge or whoever gave him that sentence when he was 13, they gave him probation. So they they knew he could have done better. But he continued on with his life of crime and 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 some were born into crime some found it on the playgrounds and some on the streets and 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 most attempted to live up to the rough and tumble eerie underworld which it happens um and like i said after world war ii uh some people who uh knew the important people from Pittsburgh, the LaRocca family and the Lavacoli crime family in Cleveland, um, as well as the Youngstown fraction of the Pittsburgh crew. And that's where these connections came from, especially for Ferrito. And he, and he kept those connections going and he worked those connections, but no one had come to Erie, uh, in the 1950s with manufacturing being a boom here in Erie and downtown was a, you know, downtown was where you went for everything. And there was no mall, there was no, um, uh, side shops or anything like that. Everything was downtown. And since the city had no one family to lay claim to it, uh, it became an open market for gambling theft. Uh, even small amounts of drugs, which criminals made money and the police were constantly chasing one after the other. But in 1954, Erie's mayor, Thomas Flatley, was arrested along with several people in his administration and top brass at the police station and members of the city's crime syndicate, charges of corruption, abuse of power, illegal gambling, which he pled guilty to charges of conspiracy and violating his oath of office. And he left office and faced jail time and fines. And in the years that followed, many suspected that the elected officials were quote unquote connected to the local bookmakers and other conspirators, but no one else would go down the way flatly had. And I, and I would suspect that no one would want to because there's no way that they, they would be able to even get any kind of a deal anywhere near probably what Flatley did. Now, with having bookies and stuff like that at this time period, they had these gaming systems in place because Pennsylvania did not have the lottery system at the time. And the people who did this, they would bet every day for a chance to win um, the 5 to 1 payout. All they had to do was pick the right number, and the number was the last three digits of the next day's stock market at the closing bell, which you would think that that would be the hardest number to pick and the hardest number to try and fix. 
But then again, I don't know that. Even if, even if you had insider training knowledge, it would be hard to do. Um, now, the people who were involved in this was Bolo Dovishaw, and he lived in Erie's Little Italy. And he controlled the local gambling book, uh, which included sports, betting, and numbers. And he was one of the most successful bookies here in the northwest Pennsylvania area. And Little Italy was area's only self-contained ethnic neighborhood. And anything you needed could be found within the confines of the neighborhood's borders, which ran from the tracks of South 12th Street to 24th Street, with an eastern boundary at Sassafras Street, and the western front around Cranberry Street. And then you had your future police officers like Dominic DiPaolo and, and criminals like Cesar Mont Montevecchio. Um, and these two played together in the Columbus Park as kids, and they played baseball in, Glenwood, in the Glenwood League as teens. And then as adults, they would chase each other and evade one another in those same streets because they knew each other, and they knew these streets like the back of their hands. And Little Italy had its own public schools, its own church, its own funeral directors, its own stores. You never had to leave that little area. Now, Dovishaw, Ferrito, these guys believed that the city belonged to them. And they truly believed that. And they knew there was money to be, to be made. And they had a business to run. And Dovishaw had more than 100 people taking bets. And with this small army of criminals from kids to cops on the take this required a routine and it meant every day Dovishaw had to make rounds and take calls that would satisfy his huge ego and his wallet which he liked money and if you didn't like money you were in the wrong business Ferrito eventually left the neighborhood and which he had made the contacts and he also had certain skills that made him very successful successful I should say it made him useful to people in Cleveland and Los Angeles from burglary to murder and Ferrito carried out the wishes of made guys and the kind of mobsters who were the cinematic lore and legacy but they were interested in Ferrito himself not his small-time gambling associates nor in Erie, nor would they be because they had their own territories they were running and they really didn't give a crap about what was going on here in Erie because there wasn't the kind of money that they were interested in. Ferrito became one of the most traveled of his criminal brethren and he had uh, lived in Warren, Ohio and then he had gone all the way out to Los Angeles. Most of the people don't live or who live in Erie a lot of people don't go outside of Erie. So they don't know what's going on outside of there. And they're okay with that. Some people want more. And Ferrito did. He left Erie and he had gone outside of that and people looked up for, up to him for it. But when he did, uh, he ended up also doing time out in California state penitentiary, state penitentiary uh, at Chino. Now, when the Irish mob that was led by Danny Green moved into the Cleveland area and started to infringe on the family of Jack White Levacoli and Angelo Big Ange Leonardo, uh, this set into motion the uh, chain of reaction of a classic mob war. Uh, there were more than 40 car bombs in Cleveland 
in the early 1970s in which several were intended for Danny Green. Now, and I spoke about that earlier, um, on October 31st, 1971, Arch Danny Green's gopher and right-hand man. November 26, 1971, Michael Big Mike Frado, Green's friend turned rival, killed in a shootout with Green, and Green is led off with a self-defense. Now, these are people that were killed in a car bombing, a shootout, or they disappeared. Uh, and this, this leads up to with Ray Ferrito. <clears throat> March 29, 1975, Alex Shondor Barnes, Byron's car bomb after falling out with Green, and 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 he was a former protege. May twelfth, nineteen seventy-five, Green's apartment is blown up with Green in it, but Green uh, with Green sleeping in it. But obviously, Green survives at this point. September nineteenth, nineteen seventy-five, you have John Conte who disappears on his way to a meeting with Green. But he's discovered beaten to death, and Conte was a close friend and lieutenant of Joe Gallo. I really, really think that I should put a player's list of names, which family they're associated to, what's their title, and stuff like that, because it's kind of confusing. But at the same point in time, I don't think it really matters because this is about Ray Ferrito. On May 26, 1976, Cleveland Mafia godfather John Scalish dies during, dies during a medical procedure, but his death sends the city's underworld into a freefall it would never recover from, starting with Green and his, friend, and his friend Nardi, because they both start to grab out and start to seize large sections of territory. And on July 21st, 1976, mob enforcer Eugene the Animal Cayaluso nearly murdered in a porch bomb, but survives. The explosion blew apart his stomach, spending, and he, he ended up spending weeks in the hospital because with that time he spent in the hospital, it left him unable to do whatever it is that he did as an enforcer, which obviously probably breaking some legs, arms, you know, putting some people in some, you know, hurtful positions and, you know, unable to do his job. Eh, he had to back out, but it left him alive. August 27, 1976, mob associate and labor union strong arm John Kovac shot to death in front of his home. August 23, 1976, Cleveland Mafia boss Calogero Leo Lips Moseri disappears, his blood-soaked Mercedes being the only evidence of his slaying. And earlier, and earlier that month, he was in a verbal spat with Nardi. Now, if you're following along with anything that I'm saying, if you've been in an argument, um, if if you've gone to a meet, you were in a meeting with someone or either one of these guys, Nardi or Green, you're either coming up disappearing or a shootout, but you're dying. You're, you're just not coming back from it. September 24th, 1976. This is the civilian I was talking about, Frank Persio. 
He was a neighbor of Cleveland mob soldier Alfred Ali Khan Calabrese. He was killed by a car bomb attached to Calabrese's new Lincoln Continental. Persia moved the Lincoln when it was blocking his car. April 5, 1977, Hell's Angel biker Enos Eagle Cernick killed while attempting to attach a car bomb. To John Johnny Dell Del Zappo's vehicle. May 17, 1977, aspiring mafia overlord. How do you obtain the title overlord? Uh, that one just baffles me. Mafia overlord and labor union boss, John Nardi, killed by a car bomb. Now, this is the guy that's been offing people left and right here if he's getting in spats with them and he's trying to seize the territory that people are getting pissed off about. June 23rd, 1977, Cleveland mob, mob associate and explosive expert Henry Boom Boom Greekio, love the name Boom Boom, a member of the team that took out Nardi vanishes. Obviously, somebody was not happy about that. October 6, 1977, Cleveland Irish mob boss Danny the Irishman Green is killed by a car bomb, which obviously we know was Ray, Ray Faridi, or Farido. And then it goes on to, for November 17, 1977, Irish mob lieutenant Elmer Bretain is shot to death. Now, if that was in, in a cleanup, for Danny Green. Um, then a year later after this, after Green's murder, his former club is merged into um, Livacoli's club. And that was um, brokered by rising Cleveland Mafia Lieutenant Tommy, the Chinaman, Sinato, uh, who was once a rival of Green's. Um and there was, that was that was with a peace conference in late June of 1978. Uh, then July 6th of 1978, Cleveland mobster Joey Joe Bugs Bonagerio is murdered during a beef with the Hells Angels. All right. Then the last one is November 16th, 1978, Irish mob strong arm Keith the Enforcer Ritson, Danny Green's main muscle and top hitman, is shot to death by Hans the surgeon Grau, a German-born Cleveland mafia associate and deranged assassin, on orders of La Cavoli group after word of Ritson's intent on settling old scores with the Italians began surfacing within weeks of following the Gainlands consolidation consolidation effort kickoff so basically if you weren't in with the um with the effort of hey let's sing kumbaya and get over this bullshit we're just going to take you out anyways so get along sing with the program or we're just going to take you the fuck out plain and simple and I mean, that's, that's basically it. I mean, but Ray Ferrito, he himself, when he was 
setting up the, the bomb. He was, while at the scene of Danny Green's murder, and there was a young woman who happened to be the daughter of a police officer noticed uh, two men acting strangely um, in a car. And then after the bomb went off, she noticed that, uh, that they left in a hurry and, and drew a sketch. The officers assigned to the case uh, recognized the man in the sketches, uh, mob associate Ray Ferrito. So, I mean, he got he got screwed double time. Well, not screwed. I mean, he didn't try to hide who he was. I mean, this is the kind of guy he was. He just didn't hide it because he. I mean, it's it's who he was. But anyways, so the mob called in Ferrito to finish a job. Ferrito did. He got, he was seen by the, the female at the scene. Then what ended up happening was the, this assignment uh, ended up being the beginning of the end of Farida's career uh, and any connection to the mafia uh, that Erie would have. Because then when a search warrant was executed at Farida's house in Erie, uh, police found registration. I mean, come on. I mean, you cannot get any easier for a police in investigation. They found the registration papers for the bomb the bomb car and arrested him. The search also turned up a copy of Cleveland magazine with a picture of uh, green in it, which to me, that's kind of circumstantial. Uh, and then upon hearing of Ferrito's arrest, the Cavoli uh, put out a hit on Ferrito. And then when Ferrito learned of the contract, he became a government witness and testified against his co-defendants in the uh, 1978 trial and then the state of ohio in indicted uh la cavoli leonardo ferrito carabia and 15 other members of the cleveland family for the green murder and then with his career that ended in the mafia ferrito eventually moved ferrito's legend in erie preceded him he, when he wasn't moonlighting for the mob he partnered up with bolo dovishaw um and nobody challenged them in the erie area because there nobody was thinking about erie at the time uh, this was the foundation for erie's affair with the mob and the city was loving it the criminals were competing for space in the city which they did so under the radar so on the surface the city appeared safe so if one wannabe criminal stole from another, who were they to go, who were they going to call? The it it certainly wasn't going to be the police, and it's not much different than today's drug deals. If these guys wanted it uh, wanted it handled, they handled it internally away from civilians. Um, the only difference from today's issues, um, because today they just pull out guns and they just start shooting, and. One of the examples is if a group of kids mugged a guy on his way from one of Erie's downtown second floor gambling haunts, the guy in charge of the game would deal with it. Uh, 
where he would have one of his goons deal with it because that's what you you did not want to get a bad reputation for either your you know your people getting mugged on the way down to your gambling hall or getting mugged after a big winning on the way back because uh, mischief and mayhem were bad for business and um, nobody's going to go to your hall if uh, you're going to get mugged. After Farida was released from Chino in 1974, he returned to Erie and teamed up with Dovashaw and developed their routine and they became partners and Farido knew where to find Dovashaw. So on January 3rd, 1983, which was just like any other Monday for Erie's bookies, they collected on the numbers racket and they stopped and had a meatball sub at uh, Demore's because Bolo, which is a quote here, not, not me, was a fat pig who was always hungry and they prepared for Monday night football, which the Cowboys versus the Vikings and Tony Dorsett was on fire, and the action was going to be large. Dovashaw dropped Farido off at his home at 6 p.m. so Dovashaw could get to his house and answer his phone. And the bets were never made in person, only by phone. And there were no answering machines. It would only prove to be evidence if caught, and which is funny because these guys were considered old-school guys, and answering machines were considered new technology. So... I have to chuckle at that. Um, and if the phone rang too many times, the call would be transferred to another number, which is basically call forwarding. If Dovashaw didn't answer, one of his associates would. But at this time, after an hour from dropping Dovashaw off, Farido called to check on the action, but the call got transferred to their underling. So they're thinking, where's Dovashaw? Did he run off with his stripper girlfriend named Chastity? Did he get picked up by the feds? Because at this point, the, Fe the FBI had been hunting La Costa Nostra for more than a decade, but they were getting bigger players in bigger cities, not Erie. Again, people are thinking Erie's this, you know, has this mob thing going on, but there's nothing going on. In part, um, the focus of the federal government on Italian mob allowed for challenges to power like one uh, Danny Green tried to carry out in Cleveland or the kind of coup Whitey Bulger executed in Boston. Now, everybody should know who Whitey Bulger is. He just got picked up a few years ago when he was hiding out. And I want to say it was like Los Angeles or something like that. He was living with his girlfriend in some kind of little condo or something. But there was no quote-unquote family in Erie. And as Farida looked for Dovashaw, he decided to head over to Dovashaw's house on West 21st. And the house belonged to Dovashaw's mother, who was now deceased. And Dovashaw lived there alone, when she also died there alone. Farido had searched the house and had found his friend and associate bound in the basement and his hands tied with belts of his mother's dresses, which were still hanging on a rack downstairs. Dovashaw had been shot once behind the ear, on his knees, execution set execution style and the tale of the events that preceded Dovashaw's murder and the investigation that followed that became the subject of um, a book called unholy murder of ash wednesday a cop's Men memoir now ferrito benefit benefited from his relationship with Dovashaw until cesar 
um, Motovecchio, uh, who was a burglar, hired by Robert E. Dorler Sr. of Medina, Ohio in 1983 to murder Dovenshaw for the purpose of stealing his keys to a safety deposit box. Both Montevecchio and Dorler were freelancers at the time and had no associations with the mafia. Ferrito was involved in... uh, Now, in one of the articles I read, there was an interview with Ray's wife. um, And she said that the Cleveland bosses had offered Ray a leadership position and his own territory in return for killing their enemy, the Irishman. And Ray had jumped at the opportunity. Um, I don't know if he felt the need to prove himself or uh, was Farido wanting to include Erie into the official mob territory. However, the bosses had secretly plotted to plotted Ray's demise once the job was done and to keep all their territory. So they were thinking to give them bits of their territory. And, but what they did is they hired him to do a hit job, then turned around and stabbed him in the back and said, you know what, we're just going to put a contract out on you and take you out at the same time. Uh, and then the bosses had intentionally set Ray up to take the fall on Danny Green's bombing death. <clears throat> but it was the feds that had convinced Ray that the bosses had taken a hit out on him. Uh, so Ray did not think these guys would turn on him, which is kind of weird because watching them through all these years, you would think that he would have known that it was possible. Um, it was a choice of who would kill him first, the state of Ohio or the Cleveland mobsters at this point. And with nothing to lose, Ray Ferrito took revenge on those who portrayed him on the highest level in their world. And when the bosses knew what was going to happen by Ferrito turning state's evidence against those who had taken out a hit against him and seeing that once, once started how it took on a a life as a life of its own, especially when bosses started turning against each other to stay to save their own skins. If the mob knew what they did when they killed Danny Green or what they were going to start when they betrayed Ferrito, they never would have done it. And this is a quote from Pete Elliott, a retired U.S. Marshal. Uh, and then when the trial was over, Ferrito refused to go into Witsack against federal advice and returned to Erie, where he returned to pick up the pieces of his prior businesses. And according to his wife, Ferrito felt he could protect himself better on his own turf. He, Ferrito, um, felt he was um, safer on his own. Now, Ferrito met his wife at Orlando's funeral parlor in Erie. And she had met him while she had gone to pay her respects at Bolo's funeral. She knew Bolo as a, as a friend and he was Bolo's business associate. And Susan described Ferrito as a man of many faces and he was respected by his 
by his associates in the criminal world, a man of his word, laid back, quiet, polite, reserved, and charming. But he become he could become a hard and temperamental, dangerous killer, skilled safecracker. He was a loan shark and knew how to organize businesses for the mob. But what he, but he had what she called his human side also, such as a husband, a father, brother, and a grandfather. <clears throat> and the actor, and the she also talked about the movie that was that was made which is called himself FBI informant mafia hitman the uh, actor who played Ray in the movie uh, definitely captured his demeanor but the documentary focused on the life and death of Danny Green not what happened afterwards and the ending wasn't what Susan thought it should have been it showed Ferrito as someone who thought he was bigger than he was, not the fact that he'd set he was set up and what led up to one of the biggest busts for the FBI. Now, I read amongst articles uh, some of the comments about the Ferrito family and Ray Ferrito himself after his death uh, that were. Definitely not very, what's the word? Oh, let's go with nice. Some even joked about the death of Danny Green and where his body parts were in the parking lot. And I have to say they were funny. But then again, I'm pretty dark when it comes to humor. Um... Mr. Green might have might have something to say about it, but with the business he was in, I'm sure they too made jokes about things like that that were not quite appropriate. But I'm not about to dig out a Ouija board and find out. So, and that's a game I refuse to play. I I flat out refuse to play with those. That is a big no-no in my household. We don't play that game. We don't talk to spirits, period. Um, but I somehow don't think the folks that said what they said would have done it. Um, I don't think they really would have dared do it uh, if Farida was alive, even with the ability to be behind the screen of a computer. And these were comments that were made 14 years ago. Uh, so it would be interesting what they have to say now. I mean, I mean, really what they have to say now. Um, one even claimed that his wife had been a prostitute uh, when they had married and that he had even pimped her out while they, well, well into her 40s. And that Frito, um, oh gosh, what was it? Um would never commit a crime unless he had a list of people that he could use as scapegoats. Um, another one said that Ferrito didn't snitch on uh, Caribbean uh, since it actually worked out financially for the mafia families from Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Youngstown, Cleveland, and Toledo. 
And then Ferrito named someone else as the bomber a day or so before the trial. Carabia became the fall guy and spent more than 20 years in prison, probably for a murder he didn't commit. And then it was rumored that Edward de Bartolo issued a hands-off because of how well he made out on Ferrito's tattletelling. Ferrito entered Witsec for two years, left, came back to Erie. No one but Ronnie Krabs um, knew him. Uh, no one, no one knew him but Ronnie Krabs, and he was mad at him, and he was still in prison. And Ferrino uh, ran his bookie business until the late 80s, and then he was arrested again. And then Ferrito flipped on every judge, cop, bookie, and loan shark he could think of. And he stayed out of prison, but was done for with the mob completely. I mean, because of everything he had just done again. I mean, he just totally flipped on everybody again. And it just totally screwed him for everything. And... um. And then the person who recommended Ferrito for the hit, Aladina Jimmy the Weasel Fratiano, wrote a couple of mob tell-all books, The Last Mafioso. And when a contract was put out on him because of his recommendation, he too flipped and became a rat. Uh, cops and FBI joked about uh, Ferrito, quote, he was a guy you had to slap once to make him talk and slap twice to shut him up. Unquote. Um, like I said, I was surprised by the information that was available. I was surprised because this, this stuff happened before our last episode of the um, Kirk murder. And there was hardly any information available about that. And yet there was like three pages of information on Google. Just Google. Um, and if you go to IBM... Uh, not IBM, I, IBN, because there's a movie, there's a documentary. It's listed in there. And I was highly flabbergasted at looking at the comments, especially about the wife, the family, um, the one with the one with the wife, um, not just about calling her a prostitute, but saying that um, she ran um, a number of quote unquote massage parlors. And I just sat there thinking to myself as I'm as I'm reading these things and wondering, but would you still say these things if he was still alive and in Erie? I mean, because this guy did kill people for a living. I mean, he broke into people's homes. He was able to do these things. Now, granted, this guy, when he 
when he ended his career with the mafia, he, he moved to Florida and he, he died of uh, congestive heart failure at, at 75. In reality, that's really not that old. I mean, it's up there, but it's not that old. I mean, I'm not saying he's a spry chicken or anything like that, but there's nothing stopping him from picking up a gun and doing anything. So, but I know I wouldn't want to piss somebody off like that. That's just me. But then again, when you're behind the screen of a computer, that's completely different. And, and that's something that people talk about in today's day and age, especially what we call trolls. And, uh, that is, that is something that I would really, really, really like to, um, I would really like to talk to one of them and see what their reaction would be if they, if they would say that to that person's face, um, especially about, you know, the, I mean, how they spoke about the son. Now, the only thing that they didn't say was anything about the daughters, which, so, okay, maybe something good came out of that. Maybe the daughters are some good people. Um, he had grandchildren and great grandchildren and, but the only people that, that they spoke bad about was, you know, the wife and the son. So I don't know, but, um, that being said, that's my story about Ray Ferrito, Erie's one time claim to fame to the mafia and, uh, actually quite interesting. Like I said, I felt like I needed to put my jammies on and do a Netflix binge or Netflixing. And it was super interesting. And I felt a few times like saying about, I have enough, I have an offer that you cannot refuse. Um, I probably butchered that really bad, but please don't forget we are on Spotify. We are on podbean.com. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. And if you enjoyed this, this episode and you have not heard our other ones, please go back and, and download them. Please let your friends know. And I do greatly appreciate the people that have been listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this one. This one has been different for me because it is about something that I normally, it is different for me because, um, uh, the mafia aspect of it is something that I normally don't do because of, yes, it is about murder, but it's, it's more, it was more about the mafia. It was more about this person itself, not about the murder itself. Um, if that makes sense, um, maybe it's just because I'm really super tired because it's late. (laughs) Um, because it is late. Normally I'm recording early in the morning. I am an early bird. Um, but that is my story. And this is Kathy and I am signing off.